Well, 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 it is Wednesday, January 6th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 328. May this be one of our best shows ever. Amen. And a women. My name is Caleb Hag. <laughs> Drinking from a the Dadalorian cup. Mm-hmm. A gift from my precious daughter. Um, that so, probably does not deal with the it's probably not uh, it's probably a violation of Disney copyright. I, I want to make a shirt. I want to make a shirt that has just the cross on it. Right. Like with me, I don't know, you know, on a hill or something like that. And it says, no, this is the way. <laughs> nice. For anyone who has not seen the Mandalorian, you are not in on that joke. That's OK. All right. Let's uh, jump right into this. Caleb, this here. Do it. Representative Emmanuel Cleaver. By the end of the show. Yeah. Mr. Uh, Mr. MG in our graphics. Uh, yes, exactly. Department. Jump on Can- that can um, have that up. Unless you're living under a rock, you have heard the controversy over the amen a woman comment. Uh, <laughs> now, I'm not going to bring this up to try to show that obviously this is a Hebrew word from the word emet, may, meaning truth or maybe so. If you want to watch that, go ahead and uh, check out someone like, I don't know, Ben Shapiro or any one of the slew of other people who have just pointed out the the moronic nature of this. What I want to show rather is that these people are actually in charge of running our government. Um, And this is why I have little faith to no faith in humanity anymore. By the way, uh, let's see here. Mary, we'll we'll give you a shout out here. Abba, I call out a rebuke your mighty hand and Ruach be in this room and upon these two brothers. Thank you. Not a rebuke. Not a Baruch. I'm sorry, a Baruch. A blessing. I... I, I thought I, I misread it. That's okay. Mary, thank you for bracha, the super chat. A bracha. Uh, Mary, thank you for the super chat. You've been blessed. Okay. Um, let's go here to Emmanuel Cleaver. Now, keep in mind that this person is a representative for the first di- district of Missouri. He is a reverend, people, for St. James United Methodist Church. That explains it. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, I'm serious, man. Okay, you it, can't get further left than the U- United Methodist. The no doubt. Yeah. Um, hang on, just a sec. You sound low to me. Is it because of my headphones? Okay, uh, here. Let me. Let me. Uh, I can bring the mic in a little better here. Yeah, do that. Okay. Um, oh. He uh, he has his master's degree. He has a master's degree. <laughs> From St. Paul's School of Theology of Kansas City. If you, okay. if you're, hang on just a sec. I just want to say this. If you're going to St. Paul's School of Theology, transfer right now. Ask for your money back. Ask for your money back. There is absolutely no way that, that I mean, the, the St. Paul School of Theology has to be, just be shaking their heads. Wait, and, did they have him listed as like one of our famous? Alumnus? I haven't even looked. I, I mean, <laughs> before we go any further, let's let people understand what it is we're talking about here. This was uh, this was at the Demo- This is at the House opening. I don't know. Take take a listen. This is a little low. I'm going to try to bump it up for y'all. May the Lord make His face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of His countenance upon us and give us peace, peace in our families, peace across this land. And dare I ask, O Lord? peace even in this chamber. 
now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. A man and a woman. Okay, before we uh, jump on here, onto the amen and a woman uh, comments, let's just point out that this man is not a Christian. This man is not a believer. This is, this is syncretism. Yeah, this is not. This Th- man this is, is not a believer is, in yeah, right, exactly. in Jesus Christ. He's not a believer in Yeshua Hamashiach, however you want to say it. And the reason why is because any believer who is in the name of the Lord, that means living in the name, in the essence, in the power of our Lord, who is willing to say in the name of the monotheistic God and and then add a bunch of different gods behind it. Brahman? Did he, he said he Brahman, said Brahma. which is yeah. Hindu. Right, Hindu God. And then you have, uh, he, and obviously many, he believes that, names. Yeah. he believes that yod heh vav and or the God of the Bible is the same as Allah, is the same as, you know, whoever, whatever. We just call him a different name. This means that this man is not living in the name of may, our Lord. Might I add, Caleb, might I add... Please this is a great example of what was happening in the first century among in, in the Greco-Roman world. You had people who were doing what we call scholars call it syncretism, but they were basically taking a little bit of religion from the Jews, a little religion from the Egyptians, a little bit of religion from the Greeks, and mixing them together and with who knows what else, and then creating prayers and having little shrines and things that represent all these different things, trying to cover all their bases, trying to be inclusive, that my religion is inclusive. And, and I also cover all my bases. So, so I'm good. And it's, it is, you know what, this is the best, the good thing about this being wide open like this, this is the best the unredeemed heart has to offer. And it's, it's, it's no good to God. It's well, no obviously. good to God, and it's the best. It's the best effort of an unredeemed heart. The, okay, to... but but there's a lot going on here. You can't. And, and Lois points this out perfectly in the chat room. You can't say in the name of the monotheistic God and <laughs> that doesn't it's... work. Not only does that not work in theology, it doesn't work in language. What what monotheist means one God? Yeah, and what does he? What does Isaiah? say it says thus saith lord i will not share my glory with another you can't you <laughs> it's it's so bad that i really uh, yeah, I, I mean really wonder about that school of theology if they're gonna like delete his name from no like, they and, probably hail it as the greatest promotion ever i gotta tell you this though i mean this this also comes down to a, a misreading of the torah because i i mean and i'm i don't mean this sarcastically what i mean is that people who have such a, uh, how do you, I, I'm trying real hard not to just bash. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to just, you know, say that this person is, you know, X, Y, Z. I want to give the benefit of the, of the doubt. My son is a, you know, is, is well-versed in theology at the age of eight years old. There are not people, there are many families who don't who aren't religious, or maybe they are religious, but they don't have a good theological grounding, and so they don't teach their children the way that I've tried, I am trying to teach my son. And so, you know, the idea might be that he reads it, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, he put the monotheistic God first. 
And I'm not being sarcastic here. I mean, maybe this is what he thinks. Oh, like it's a temporal clause, like like before like, me or yep. in order. Yeah, exactly. In as long order. as you mention me first. As long as you mention me first, then maybe maybe that maybe that's what he thinks. But oh. here's here's the scary part about that is that you have the United Methodists, and I know it, it's like the United Lutherans or whoever they are. You know, the 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 mainstream Lutheran, mainstream uh, Methodist here in the United States. They are so liberal. We, you know, the church that I that I co-pastor at, we we uh, we were trying to meet in a, in the United Lutheran, I think it is United Lutheran, maybe I don't know. Anyway, the church down the it might be Methodist. It, it actually might be Methodist. Anyway, um, and uh, they told us, well, we affirm LGBTQ in leadership and in pastoral roles, and if that's a problem for you, then we just want you to know that now before you rent a room from from us. Not saying that we necessarily had to, uh, that we necessarily had to affirm that as well, but that if we were going to walk in and, and start, you know, yelling heresy or something because of that, you know, because of their rainbow flags, um, you know, their rainbow flags didn't mean uh, the covenant of Noah. <laughs> I do that every time. Never mind. I, <laughs> every time my wife and I see a rainbow flag, I'm like, wow, I really, really like the covenant of Noah. Okay, um, let's move on. Do we need to even talk about what that word means in Hebrew? I mean, I think I already touched on it. It's a Hebrew word. You, can you know, find... I, I watched the clip. Someone shared the link, and, and I saw the video along with the audio, and he was wearing a mask. And I'm wondering, did he, he was say wearing it, two masks. Does he say it as a joke? No, Which, no, no, no. If he, if he said it as a joke, then that's... He did not. He did not. And, and, here's, the, and here's the reason why is because he's defended his... He's basically said that what he, you know, I, I read an article this morning. Um, he, he basically said that what he was attempting to do was to uh, praise the inclusion of women into, what is it, the Senate or the Congress or whatever. I, I, but then this at shows the same my, time, they remove all these other labels that yeah. you can't. It's, it's so dumb. So dumb. Okay. Anyway, um, what it does highlight to, to me is the state of education in the United States. It's, it's well, but in... In many ways, it's consistent with their overall worldview. It's logical within. If you adopt all the, the same presuppositions, you would come to the same conclusion. And and true. The thing is that all the souls invested in that worldview are not bearing fruit to God because they're not they're not recognizing sin. They're not recognizing the the authority of the scriptures, the authority of the of God's revealed word, His Torah that define sin and they so they and they obviously they lack the ruach hakodesh otherwise they would understand what holiness is and they wouldn't they wouldn't be so blatantly you know uh you know contrary to the word but it's i think they're walking in blindness this is the blind leading the blind right they think they're being religious but what it is it's plat it's a prayer of platitude it's not, yeah, it's not like God hears this prayer. And so it's, what, who's it for? The prayer is a performance to their base. It's not, a, it's not an actual intercession to the God of creation on behalf of a nation. It's certainly not that. Right. Um, I'm going to, so here's the thing is that we had some technical issues before we came on air. And so I'm going to actually try to, um, I'm okay. 
Here's Matt from Michigan, and I'm actually going to bring his giant head now down. Sorry to everyone for having a giant. There's there's our there's our guy. There is our third uh, our third host. Okay, the reason I did that, and the reason I brought Matt from Michigan up, is because uh, we have a clip from Matt from Michigan, and so let's let's just hear that now. All right, Matt. Uh, my question. Oh, this is on election, by the way. I figured why not just jump in where everybody can be offended right away, right? Uh, my question is, if God's will um, or sovereignty on somebody's life is so strong that it can't be denied that if he elects you, you cannot deny that that call on your life. My question is, is is it not the will of God that, that all should be saved and that, that none should see death? I, I know I just slaughtered it, but I paraphrased it hopefully well enough. And, it, and back to the point, though, is if that is God's will... Why does he not elect everybody so that his will, that none will perish? Ladies and gentlemen, the third host of Messiah Matters, Matt from Michigan. Thank you, Matt from Michigan. Also <laughs> also became a producer this uh, this quarter, and uh, all of our producers uh, are now up. We already ran them on the screen, and you'll be able to see them on our YouTube videos and in our podcast. Uh, if you'd like to see who produces this show for this quarter, and you can become a producer as well. Um, so, yes. Now, let's get to Matt's question. And Matt, um, so what Matt is talking about here is Second Peter 2.20. For if after they have escaped defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and in... Oh, uh, uh, wait... Nope, that's the wrong one. I pulled the wrong verse. That sounds like Hebrews like yeah. 6, maybe. I don't know. Um, do you know what passage? Chat room, jump on this for me. Let's see here. Well, there's Ezekiel, Ezekiel 18. No, that none should perish. It's in second, it's in second Peter. It's in second Peter 3. Uh yeah, 3 9. Here we go. I wish I had interlude music. Uh Second Peter 3 9. Let's read it. Yeah, right. Three, nine. So the actual passage is the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slow, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay. Um, we've talked about this and um, there was a, there was a second reference there in his, uh, in his question. And I forget what that reference is. But basically, well, well, well it, we. Oh, sorry, I'm cutting you off. Go. No, 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 it's okay. I, oh, I, I do know what it is. It's, it's Romans nine. I was going to go to, but go ahead. Uh, so we're talking. For those wondering, we're talking about Second Peter three nine. Go. Well, uh, the background for this thought, I, one place is Ezekiel eighteen, that it's uh, addressing this very issue. Where at the same time you have Adonai saying, like, let's see here in three. Heck, you got to get oh. your mic in front of you, man. We can't hear okay, you. Okay, let me talk. Let me do this. He says in verse four, in Ezekiel eighteen four, behold, all souls are mine. The soul, and then he says, the soul that sins will die. So that's Ezekiel eighteen four, and then at the very end of the chapter, um. I mean, he unpacks all of what it means here. But at the very end, verse 32, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of, of anyone who dies. Of, 
Therefore, repent and live. So here's the situation. These are the facts. The facts is all souls belong to God. That God does not take pleasure in the death. In the, well, all souls are God's. The soul that sins will die. And that he does not take pleasure in that death, of the death of the, of the soul that dies in sin. So those are all true. Yeah, but but Matt's question is is if God really wishes that all would would uh, not perish and all would come to salvation, then why doesn't He just predestine all of them? There's... It's another way of saying what it says at the end of Ezekiel eighteen. He takes no pleasure in the death, but I He take, permits I... it. He absolutely permits the death the death of he, because He can't tolerate sin. I take a different view on this uh, passage completely. I think that he's talking only to believers here. And the reason why is because of the context of 2 Peter uh, 3. So if we start in 2 Peter 3.1, he says, oh, 2 Peter 3, sorry, 3.1. He says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Then down... In 8, he says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. So who's he talking to? He's talking to the ecclesia. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. So in other words, don't lose heart. He's once again talking to the ecclesia. Don't lose heart. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's how I read this passage. But I think that there is something to be said for the way that Rob okay, is reading if, if it as well. That, that's, that's, I think that's a plausible reading, Caleb, of that. It, it, that addresses it differently. That's a different uh, topic then than Ezekiel 18. Unless, unless you want to say when he says all souls are mine, that he's speaking only about the house of Israel. Um, because that's, of course, is Ezekiel is a prophet to, to Israel. So, um, we, yeah. Yeah, God does, God, back to the point of the passage from Peter, is the idea that in our predicament in this world, is that the the wicked and the just have not fully been differentiated? I mean, there, there's places in in the world where we don't know we we know there's wickedness, but we don't know who are the wicked and who are the righteous. It's all mixed up. This is like the parable of the of that Yeshua gives in Matthew 13, where you know they go out and they. The fishermen go out with a big net and they bring in all sorts of fish and things in the net. Then they sit on the beach and they have to separate the righteous with that which is good and that which is bad. And that time period over which, you know, this, the large span of time, which now, you know, it's been 2,000 years basically since Yeshua's uh, incarnation, is a time of this separating out of the righteous from the wicked. And, and so the, the wicked are those who will not repent, and the righteous are those who do repent. But God doesn't take pleasure 
in in the death in the in those souls death but but it's just you know they they and they're not going to be able to blame him they're, they they don't have an excuse so you know this is this we're, we're this is a mystery you know why why how god created the world and why god created the world and and what the world to come is going to look like you know all these things are you know how are we going to are we going to look back and think oh you know there were just people that now are not with the lord or are we going to get to a point where we say, oh, there's wicked people who make made it into, you know, the, the kingdom? There is oh, none but, good, not even one. Right, only in Yeshua. Um, only in Yeshua do we have life. So to answer the question that that Matt asks, why would God, you know, why wouldn't God just make all, you know, and I, I my son basically asked this last week, why didn't God just send everybody to heaven? Why didn't and the and there was a, a, a we talked for about fifteen minutes about this, but ultimately, I asked my son if he if everything was sweet in the world, everything tasted like candy, would he know that it tasted like candy? If everything tastes like candy, then he wouldn't know what candy really tasted like because everything would taste the same. Well, you could right exactly. You could go back to Genesis one. He separated the light. He you know, let there be light, and he separated the light from the darkness. He didn't, he didn't just get rid of darkness, right? He, he didn't, he... Yeah, but Paul, I mean, Paul... He Paul, separated them. Paul answers this, too, in Romans 9.22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy... Which Amen. he has prepared that's, beforehand that's, for glory. I don't know any better way. In, yeah, I mean, any any passage that fire. I don't mean that I would come up with. I mean, like in scripture, <laughs> that's one of the yeah most beautiful uh, you know explanations. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on. Um, I'm trying something new here. By the way, it's not working very well, to be honest with you. But I'm trying something new, and that is uh, I have a different note taking that I've been trying to use. So if things are a little off today, that's why. Uh, make sure to be part of this conversation, 253-465-3205. And you can shoot us email, chegatorresource.com. And you can go to torresource.com right now. By the way, for those who don't know, my father is um, offering a free Bible study, weekly Bible study. You can catch it live or you can catch it after the fact. If you want to catch it live, it is on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific time. You can uh, join online. If you want to join online, you do need to register for the class. It's totally free. You just have to register for it. Go to TorahResource.com and you can find it under uh, Resources and then Weekly Bible Study. And then if you uh, if you click on that, then you, you can find all different ways to sign I, I up. Have a, and I have to say something on this one. Okay, go ahead. Tim, Tim Haig's teaching on Philippians was is a powerful memory for me, and Caleb will probably remember. This was probably 2003 or 2004. There was a young, a teenage girl uh, from the Beit uh, Hallel community that passed away. I think she had meningitis, and real sad story. And um, we went to the memorial service because we were friends of the family. And um, 
it was at a different location that that Beit Hillel is at presently, but uh, down in Tacoma, and we lived way up north, so we were part of a different, you know, regular community. But we wanted to be with the family on the difficult time. And your dad, during the memorial service, preached on Philippians, and my wife and I were we we were in tears. I mean, it was it was awesome. So this was wow. This was. 16, 17 years ago, maybe. I don't know. It was a lot. I don't know the math, but it was, it was a long time ago. And uh, when I saw that he's starting Philippians again, it brought all that memory back. So um, it's a short letter, but boy, is it packed. And so notice uh, here's one thing that people might not notice. My dad's done a lot of different books. My dad's done Romans, he's done Hebrews, he's done the Johannine epistles. He's done, uh, he's done a lot of different stuff, right? He just did Ephesians, just finished James. But what people might not realize is that after he did Matthew, that's when he started choosing smaller books. (laughs) 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 I don't see my dad doing, you know, uh, Mark, Luke, Luke, John, Luke (laughs) Luke Acts anytime soon. Uh, anyway, yeah, Philippians will be really good. I can't wait. To, uh, I can't wait for that to uh, to come about. So that was just a personal anecdote. Thank you for indulging me on that one. Yes. So go uh, sign up today. And if you don't, if you this needs to be said, if you don't want to join the class live, you do not necessarily need to sign up. I'm not sure, but we might make it so that uh, if you want the weekly notes that he creates, which eventually become his commentary, then you might need to sign up as well. So we'll, I'm, we'll figure that one out. Uh, yeah, First Corinthians. Paul, I'm with you, man. First Corinthians is one that I've wanted him to do for a long time, <clears throat> but uh, I don't see that coming anytime soon. Actually, you know what he needs to do? He needs to do. He was named after, of course, Timothy, and so I think that he needs to do First and Second Timothy. I think that it's only right that he has a commentary yeah, on nice. First and Second Timothy, uh, and not only that, but you get into <laughs> a lot of good ecclesiology, which he's already done a ton of work on. So, if you don't know who my father is, and you're just hearing us ramble on. Uh, that's fine. Go to Torah Resource and you can figure out uh, who my father is and, and why we're talking about his commentaries. Okay, let's move on. Stephen says, hey guys, been loving the shows. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it, man. I listened to a number of, of more recent episodes while on holiday road trips. I would love to hear your thoughts on conti- conditional immortality or annihilationism. Yeah, uh, I think that this is a plague that has infested the church <laughs> and the ecclesia uh, of recent. I think that the uh, theology of annihilationism downplays and discounts the overwhelming and infinite holiness of God. And I'll tell you why. The reason I think that is because people, usually where you get the idea of annihilationism from is people will say, I can't believe in a God who would eternally punish someone because no one deserves that. Or, um, you know, that just seems, uh, too harsh. seems unjust. It seems unjust. And what that tells me, and maybe there are other people who have different views than that. But what that tells me is that they have not grasped the overwhelming infinite holiness of God. God is infinitely holy. And therefore, any sin of any degree that diminishes infinite holiness deserves infinite punishment. 
The reason that we cannot comprehend that is because we cannot comprehend what infinite holiness is. But to say that, that it is unjust for someone to spend eternity in punishment for diminishing the infinite holiness of God tells me that, the, that people have not grasped how holy God is. That's number one. Number two, the, the, I believe the scriptures are fairly clear on the idea of eternal punishment of the wicked. Um, however, I will give you one small little uh, side argument that I've used against annihilationism. I have people that I fellowship with in my church that are annihilationists. So I, you know, I, <laughs> I endure <laughs> vessels of wrath. No, I'm playing. Um, I, so, I mean, I'm not trying to be overly harsh on people on this. However, I do. Ha this has a, uh, uh, this is a sore spot for me a bit. Um, here's the point of, a, here's one of the reasons I think that annihilationism is kind of silly. Um, I say that as best I can. Um, the reason why is because here's the theology. The theology is, is that once a person is, is raised from the dead and they are judged as being without Christ, they're, they're not covered, their sins are not covered, then they are usually in the annihilationists that I've read, they are the unjust are thrown into the lake of fire and that's it. They cease to exist. They are no more. And that is the actual punishment. The punishment isn't being thrown into fire. It's that they don't get to exist with the Lord anymore. So here's the question that I would have. If we are created beings, okay, we are created beings. That means that there is a time when we did not exist for eternity before that, right? For infinity before that, we did not exist. So that means that the same punishment that all the unrighteous are going to endure of not existing and not being able to be with Christ because they don't exist, every single person has already been through up until we were created. We've all been through eternity of hell. <laughs> We've all, that's a weird way of putting it. But we, we were all not. At yeah, exactly. One point. So the punishment so. that annihilationists say we're the the unrighteous are going to endure is one that we've all already mm -hmm. been through for eternity past, up until the day that we were created in the womb. Unless you believe that our souls are eternal, I I have a problem with, like from a slightly different perspective, just the problem of imagining myself or any human standing back and saying, I'm going to make a judgment if about God. If God does this, then that would be unjust, right? If, if, do I have all the facts? You know, am, am I appointed? Is that a little bit uh, self, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, my wife has Elevating. put it perfectly. Yeah, my wife has put it perfectly. We've made ourselves our idols. We think that our opinion is higher than the scriptures. You know, when it says we're blind, you know, we look look back to what we talked about at the beginning, this guy doing this prayer. His prayer was logical according to his worldview. It makes perfect sense to him. <laughs> yes. I don't think you could you could take him the Bible, you could you know look at passages in the original language, stuff like that. You're not gonna convince that guy. 
Oh, There's no. no rationale, rational leverage. The only thing that's going to to change his worldview is to be crushed, right, it, it, or or pierced by the Holy Spirit, and then and then all that would go away. And I pray that's what happens. But he's blind, and we, we, you know we're all blind. We are, we all walk by faith, not by sight. But the scriptures are here to shape our minds. Shape. He gives us content to store up and treasure in our heart. And we receive instruction and reproof, right? All the things that it says in, in Timothy. Doctrine. So that we'd be equipped. And that is God shaping us. For us to move into a position where we are presiding over um, a judgment of a soul and saying, well, you know, I'm going to, I think that I need to give this guy a softer punishment or that would be too harsh of a punishment. So let's say, I mean, one, I guess, I mean, if you wanted to get down to it then kind of let the person sit on the seat of the throne there of the judgment in their own imagination and just say, okay, Let's say a person does all these sins. You know, what should their punishment be? Do they all have equal punishment? Is there... That's a great point. Is, is you know... I, here's, here's, a, here's a question in that vein. Everyone out there, just think for a second. Do you think that Hitler or that Jeffrey Dahmer or that Ted Bundy or whoever, choose the nastiest person you can think of in history, Stalin. You think that they are worse or more unholy than you in than you in God's eyes? And this is the this is the doctrine of grace. I have done nothing that has made me right in God's eyes. And this is the mystery of grace. Why did God give grace to me and not to the most awful person ever? Or maybe he did. But the point is, is that sin is an offense against God's holiness. And therefore, yes, Hitler annihilated, Jew, you know, millions of Jews. And I'm not, in, in our eyes, in our temporal eyes, certainly he is worse, right? But in God's eyes, he has diminished the holiness of God, and therefore he is removed. He is, there. death is a separation, well, what about the person who didn't do any of that stuff, but they're a quote-unquote good person, but they didn't accept Christ? They're still separated from God because it's still an offense against God's holiness. I like uh, in John 3, John 3, 19 through 21, Yeshua, this is Yeshua speaking with Nicodemus. He says, this is the judgment. So, very pointed, very clear. This is the mishpat, the separation from good and evil. It says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. 
So again, what we have here is a, a period of time where you have a bunch of people, light comes into the world, and there's going to be a separation. That light separates the just from the wicked. And the wicked, it says that they hate the light, and they're afraid of being exposed, so they try to hide. Mm. And the ones who practice truth come to the light and it will show, it says that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. That means that in the end, God will, will show, even though in the, during this life in this world, their righteousness is not seen. It's seen by God, but the wicked don't, the, the wicked, uh, you know, there's so much, it's back to the situation of, of, you know, the parable of the, the fishermen and the net where you have, you know, they're sorting or the angels at the, at the come at the end of the, the age and they separate the wheat from the chaff, but there's a time where they're growing together. And that time's not easy for the righteous. It's not easy for the righteous to live in a wicked world, but they live by faith, not by sight. And they trust God. And they know that in the end, they will be shown and displayed to, to be, have lived lives pleasing to him and it will be open for all to see. But in the, in the interim, we have this, we await this judgment. You know, we've talked about it many times, just like this prayer, this guy who gave this so-called prayer, we have wicked people in, in high places, you know, and they're flaunting their sin and they think they, they actually present it as uh, that they are holier than thou, but they're wicked, but they don't have their comeuppance yet. You know, we've, we've talked a lot today about kind of a uh, personal idea or personal preference or personal theology or whatever you want to say above God's law. And so I'll, now it's my turn to, to share a, a small little story. My family just uh, had the very unfortunate event of realizing that uh, our house uh, needed some major work underneath the house. And the worst part about this kind of work is you have these guys come out for two days, they do all this work, and you don't see any of it. So you thousands of dollars are, are uh, given so that after it's all said and done, it looks exactly the same to you. Uh, so that's unfortunate. After all that was done, uh, we decided, well, we have to clean out our air ducts now because... Uh, there's, you know, it's that, that needs to be done now. And it, it had never been done since we'd been in the house. So we called up a company and I got them out. These two guys show up. One guy comes into the house and I, he, there was kind of this like brightness as he walked in and he touched the mezuzah. And he's, he said something like, uh, I noticed your tzitzit. I, uh, I had my bar mitzvah at the wall. And I said, really? He said, yeah, I, I grew up, I went to Chabad in Georgia. And I said, oh, really? Wow, that's great. And <laughs> I, I stopped for about half a second and then I, kinda, I just looked at him and I said, well, you know, I'm not Jewish. And <laughs> the, the wheels, the confusion that was going on in his brain was, was evident on his face. 
And uh, I said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. He said, well, then why, why are you wearing tzitzit? Why do you have a mezuzah? I said, well, you know, uh, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus followed the Torah. And I figure if my Messiah follows the Torah, then I should follow the Torah too. And, I, and to the, his coworker, I said, you know, this guy, his name was Adam. I said, Adam wants to run now. He said, and he said, no, 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 I'm good. He said, I, uh, I grew up in the Chabad. And then my mom got really sick. She had cancer and she almost died. And I figured there's no God that would allow this to happen to my mom because she's a good person. And so I lost my faith. And so I've been praying for this guy ever since that maybe his interaction with a Gentile who's keeping Torah better than he is, keeping Torah better than he is, will jog him in, you know, jar him into a what am I doing here? But the point is, is that we lose, people can lose their faith in a higher power or whatever it may be because they put their own feelings and their own, their own theology. Now, in this gentleman's case, in Adam's case, uh, this probably was a good thing that he got out of Chabad, right? Maybe the Lord is actually doing something for him to bring him to the truth. But the point is, is that, um, you know, we often place our own feelings and our own wants above biblical truth. And this is part of Sola Scriptura. We believe that the Bible is the highest authority in all matters of faith and practice. And if you hold to that rock then your life will be, then, then you're built on a rock, right? Anyway, okay, let's move on. We got one more, one more, one more coming. And well, let's see here, where should we go? I told Stephen that we were going to talk about his comments and Lois, your comment, which was excellent, by the way, is going to have to wait, wait till next week because it's, I think it's a 30 minute conversation. Let's go to Stephen. Stephen, my good friend, that I met in Pennsylvania. He says, I'm finishing episode 327 now. I know there is so little redemptive fruit, if any, in name calling. It has become way too common to call anything that one might dis disagree with a heresy. I agree. However, at some point, doesn't God require us to call a spade a spade, so to speak, or pick our battles? How would you simply define heresy to your son or your congregation. Although dispensationalism has evolved over time and has had several versions, I believe it has always maintained two basic overall themes. Number one, God has always had two plans of salvation, one for Israel and one for the church. And number two, God has always had two peoples, Israel and the church. I would consider this heresy, wouldn't you? This is a great question. Okay, I've talked for a really long time. Do you want to start, or do you want me to go first and then wrap it up? You go. You go. I'll listen. <laughs> okay. Um, there's two points that uh, that my good friend Stephen here has made. Number one is, um, how would I define heresy, or how would you, Rob, define heresy? And the second is, would we consider dispensationalism heresy? Well, let's define heresy first. I think that heresy is different than heretic. Now, I, I understand that and every time I have tried to define these, people have said I'm not correct. I take heresy at the dictionary version of heresy, which is anything that is contrary to the scriptures. So if it is heresy, um, then it is contrary to biblical truth. 
Now, people don't don't you don't hear Christians come out and say, "Yes, I believe uh, mostly truth, biblical truth," but I do believe heresy in these issues. Everybody believes that their biblical truth, that their version of truth is biblical truth. If you are talking to believers, and that needs to be considered when we go into uh, the idea of whether or not dispensationalism is heresy. Um, the, the other version, heretic. I probably take my own uh, definition of this probably a little bit. Um, I believe that a heretic is someone who actively preaches against the gospel in one way, shape, or form. Yeah, trying, uh, to, trying to get followers to believe their idea, to follow their... Or even if, they are, even if they are preaching a... Uh, so I believe that there are some teachers who are not necessarily just trying to get followers, but honestly believe a theology, but it is blatantly contrary to the gospel, and we could use actually our, what was his name, Representative Emmanuel Cleaver. I don't think that Cleaver is sitting there saying, yes, I actively oppose God and the, and the gospel, but I do think that his ability and want to be able to pray in the name of many different gods proves that he is actively against the gospel and therefore is actively a heretic. It's not just heresy that he believes, he is a heretic right now. And so I think that it's different if you say, if somebody says, oh, well, Caleb believes in heresy. Okay. That means that I believe a doctrine that they think is not biblical. However, if they say I am a heretic, it means that I'm actively preaching against the gospel. That's how I personally define these things. That's my personal definition. Do you want to expand on that before we move on? No. <laughs> no. All right. Moving on then, let's go to dispensationalism. Uh, Stephen's question on dispensationalism then, is dispensationalism heresy? I think that dispensationalism, as I have defined heresy, is heresy. In that, that, Now, that's not to say that people who believe in dispensationalism are heretics. And we'll talk about this a little bit. And for the exact reasons that Stephen has laid out, according to, to the Bible, I think that God has only ever had one people. I don't believe that God has had two people. That is, that he had Israel, and then he also has the church in a different dispensation. I think that that is not what the Bible teaches, and therefore it would be heresy to believe that. Um, at the same time, I don't believe that there has been two plans of salvation, one for Israel and one for the church. On, uh, let's take it one step farther or further, I do not believe in two forms of sanctification in that God has two laws for different people. So the standard Christian view, I believe, is a heresy that God has done away with the, and people would say, maybe the ceremony and civil aspects of the law. Um, I think that that is a heretical view. Does that mean that the people who believe it are heretics? No, I don't necessarily believe that because I think that one of the reasons that I have understood dispensationalism to have come into existence in and of itself in the first place is because those who believe in dispensationalism wanted to uh, wanted to try to make the scriptures line up on how God would have Israel as the chosen people, even though Israel rejected Christ. Right. Dispensationalism is an effort to create a, a timeline that helps reconcile the tension that is necessarily present when one affirms that Israel and the church are separate entities. Right. In other words, there's 
it's it's difficult to read the Bible consistently and holistically, having the church in Israel being completely separate. It creates all sorts of problems. And so one solution, it was thought, was to lay out history in a way that assigned, okay, we're thinking about Israel, then you're thinking about these parts of the timeline. You're thinking about the church, you're thinking about this part of the timeline. That way there's no conflict, because we're not, we're not, we're not putting them together in the same places on the timeline. That's that's how I understand the basic impulse of of the dispensational worldview is to try to uh, to resolve that conflict that that comes with this affirmation that Israel and the church are are separate entities. Today, that's a, uh, there's a different way of of resolving that that's been set forth, and it's bilateral ecclesiology. That right, um, it's one people. But they have two different, uh, uh, two different sets of legal obligation, two two different sets of obligation, two different laws basically uh, before God, and so there, there's kind of a wall between these two people, but they're in the same house, and the people in one part of the house are obligated with A B C D E F G. The people in the other are uh, somehow need to be recipients of this other group's teaching and have only ABC as part of their uh, obligation before the Lord. So right. it tries to it tries to resolve the same thing, but it takes the timeline out of it and just says, no, they coexist as separate, but they have completely different obligations. They share some obligations, but they're one in Messiah, but they're very different. So I see bilateral ecclesiology as and dispensationalism, I think they can be described as strategies to resolve the conflict that affirms the church and Israel are separate. Two sides of the same coin. I completely agree with you on that. And and ultimately, we, we can't, I don't think we can under, uh, underscore or understress the, uh, the impact that the Torah and trying to explain away the Torah and the and the obligations therein have made on theology for the church. And honestly, doing uh, I've been studying. <laughs> well, I've been doing a lot of different studies, um, but one of the studies I've been doing is is on the church's view of of uh, the Sabbath. It's really interesting, uh, you know how how the the church has kind of gotten around the Sabbath, which is you know. Yes, we we believe in the Ten Commandments, and we believe the Ten Commandments were the first law given to the people of Israel, passed on to the church, except for, you know, so there's there's this one commandment in there that is not... Yeah, even there, we have different strategies. Like, I grew right. up in a conservative Lutheran where, where we read, we studied Luther's catechism, like in seventh and eighth grade, every Saturday. Right. We were studying the Bible on Shabbat, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> but through this confirmation, and in Luther's... Catechism, you learn that the Sabbath is any time God's word is studied. It's not even a day anymore. So Sunday, it's, Luther said Sunday is not the Sabbath. So that was a di- that was him differentiating from the church, he's or from the Roman authority. Whereas the Romans were saying, no, we changed it. And then now you have groups. Say, oh, it's just any one day in seven, as long as it's one day in seven. So you have. In the same way, there's like different 
strategies for trying to reconcile how this commandment applies in in my world as this, a New Testament believer. You this, know, this gets into I mean, this gets into all aspects of diff- not only theology but also into f- philosophy. My father has argued, for instance, that uh, a lot of this mindset comes from a Platonist uh, worldview that, uh, you know, I think therefore I am, or that the physical world is, is bad in some way, and that really how you feel and, and how you experience things internally is really what matters, not the physical things uh, attached. And so the idea of the Sabbath being a physical day where you physically have to stop working, no, 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 what really matters is how we rest in our spirit, in our heart, inside, and commune with Christ. And that's ultimately, you know, if, if you take that viewpoint, then uh, Rob's discussion of, of, you know, Luther talking about it not on a specific day, it's anytime you read the scriptures, this makes a lot more sense. In other words, it's these kind of rose-colored glasses. Now, now don't get me wrong, I think that the idea of you know, we see on on social media all the time. We'll see things like, uh, uh, "Oh, well, oh, you're thinking like a Greek," or "Oh, that's a Greek mindset." I think it's taken way, way, way too far. Like, "Oh, you know, a Jewish mindset is always going to get things right." That's not true either. However, I think that the idea that you know, Platonism has influenced the West, I think, is certainly uh, uh, true in terms of the way that we view stuff. All right. Do we want to uh, we want to try to do one more? Sure. Okay. This could be longer than we have time for. Let's read the question and see what Rob thinks because Rob has done work on Galatians. Question. Okay. I was in the study of Galatians and I remember that mainstream Christianity uses Galatians three twenty five. We are no longer under a tutor. This is a very famous passage. Uh, as an excuse for the misconception that we don't need to follow Torah anymore. How would we address this misrepresentation of the verse or context? Thank you, Rob and Caleb. And go. Okay. Well, I should probably pull up the the passage. It's Galatians 3.25. Is that it? Uh, It is Galatians 3.25, yes. Yeah, so we need to read 3.24. It says, the Torah, literally, has become our tutor unto Messiah, so that we will, in order that we will be justified by faith. So that's, we can't read 25 without understanding 24, and of course, already we're jumping into the very middle of a a pretty intense letter that's really thick with a lot of stuff going on. Um. So verse 24 affirms, this is what I would share with somebody who's struggling with this uh, or trying to help somebody who's struggling with this, is to, to say we have the same word, uh, paedagogos, which is this word uh, where we get pedagogue or tutor. Um, we want to start with verse 24 at the very least and say the Torah is this for us. The Torah is full of signposts pointing to Yeshua and the justification by faith. Yes. This is no different than we could look at the Gospel of John where where Yeshua is saying, Moses wrote of me. Or at the end of Luke, right, where he goes through the Torah and the prophets and, and talks about 
the, necessi- the necessity that the Messiah would suffer these things in order to enter into his glory. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name among all the nations of the world. Okay, so this is, again, this is shorthand, verse 24. The Torah points to Messiah, Romans 10, right? That the, the telos or the, the, the goal of the Torah is the Messiah, the end, meaning that's the, the to under, to try to understand the Torah as something other than pointing to Yeshua is going to be a distortion uh, of, of the purpose of, of God's revelation in the first place. Justification by faith. Now we move on to verse 25, which I think was the focus. Is It says, now uh, faith having came, we are not under the tutor. What this means is, for people who are new creations in Messiah, there is no condemnation. This We could read this in Romans 8 also. It says, those who are in Messiah, there is no condemnation. Because the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has freed you from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? It means that that our new life that is is one in which our we we no, no longer owe a sin debt or, or a, a death. We don't, we know we ne- well I guess that is the debt uh, the debt of sin. Sorry, I'm stumbling here. It's big big ideas. But rather we have died with Messiah and we are now new creations. We, our life is not to be differentiated from his resurrection life. That's what Paul says earlier in at the end of chapter two. He says, it's no longer I that live, it's but Messiah Christ, yeah, who lives, lives in, in me. Right. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is meaty stuff, but it's it's the core of Paul saying, those who are in Messiah are they abide in the blessings of the covenant promises of Abraham, and the Torah is testifies to God's righteousness, testifies to Yeshua's glory, and points towards him. We are not under a threat of punishment because it's it's paid for. Right. There's and, and Paul, there's no in other words, if if it says if we sin, it doesn't mean I don't sin. It says if I, you know, if I sin, confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a, a new life in Messiah whereby we grow in our differentiation from what it means to be, to abide in the light and in the blessing and, and, and fellowship and purity with Yeshua moment by moment as we walk in this world and where the still things from the old man come up and by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the, by the sword of the word of God, we put those things to death and we disassociate from them. They're, they're no, they're the old man, but we are not, but our new life is one of confidence and trust and surety of where we're headed. We're not under threat. The pedagogue would be in the ancient world. The child was afraid because the pedagogue uh, would you know was the person assigned to lead lead the child around? The point here is that we have our relationship in if we are in Messiah, 
we stand in grace and we have confidence towards God. We don't, we don't cower in fear before God. Yeah, and, and we fear our fear of God is is appropriate because we see we know we know where sin leads. And so that's that's a very grave and serious matter. But but we are redeemed. We we have joy in our in what Messiah has done for me, for us, for his for his people. And so that's that's what I see happening here. And so that that verse 26 then it says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. So that means you're a new, you're a new creation, you're clothed in Messiah, and you're in love. And and that perfect love casts out fear. You're a fear of punishment. Yeah. And I, I think that Romans six uh speaks direct I mean Paul's got all these ideas, and if we look at both of his letters, if we look at Romans and Galatians, it seems like he's, I mean, he's hes thinking a lot of those same things. All right, good uh, good times today. Thank you, everybody who's written in. Lois, good I'm question. sorry we, we didn't make it to your uh, question. We will Number 23, we'll get you next week. We'll get We're you going. next week for sure. <laughs> um, where is my, hang on just a second. Let me get back to where I'm supposed to be here. Uh, if you have questions or comments for us, uh, you can put them in the chat in on our YouTube videos. We read every single one of those. You can also give us a call on our comment line, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, chegg at torahresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torahresource.com. Uh, we are so grateful for everyone who does write us and leaves messages. Thank you, Matt, for your uh, continued comments. They are always a blessing to me. And yeah, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? Because Messiah matters. <laughs>